Uh, hi, it's great to see you this morning. My name's Rob, and uh, I'm married to Beck, who is our children's and families minister here. My work during the week is to work with the Christian Union at University of Melbourne. And last few weeks, we've been uh, you, you guys have been helping with me with my preparation for uh, a, a conference that's on this week, and uh, going away with it about 100 or a bit over 100 students from Melbourne Uni and we're thinking about God's Word and uh, I've got six talks uh, to do this week so I wonder if you'd please pray for me and uh, remember us in your prayers. I think it will be a fantastic time for the students who go away together. Um, And so we've been thinking about God's Word for three weeks here at Mary Creek and uh, we started off with uh, um, the key idea that God is a God who speaks. The true God is a God who speaks to us. He speaks to us in human words that we can understand and respond to so that we can know him and belong to him. Uh, In the first week, we saw that God's word brings life, that God's word actually brings us to spiritual life. It's It's a word about what God has done for us through Jesus, his son. And so it brings us from a state of spiritual death to spiritual life. And then in the second week, last week, we saw that God's word changes us, that God's word actually... Uh, continues to work in us after we've been brought to spiritual life, transforming us, changing us to be more and more like Jesus, God's Son. So that God has a a goal in mind for us, that we reach maturity, that we reach uh, the image of God that uh, we're meant to bear, and He changes us and transforms us through His Word. And today, in the last in the series, we're thinking about how God's Word guides us. God's Word guides us. So really, we're thinking here about guidance and about the will of God, how we know God's will uh, and how we actually respond to God's will. Uh, In the words of our song, I guess there's a question about how Jesus pilots us. What exactly goes on so that we can pray that kind of prayer in the song? What are we expecting when we want God's guidance in our life? So as we do this, we're really thinking about uh, the issue of God's will. And it's worth saying, I think, that the Bible speaks about, God, about God's will in a couple of different ways. One of the ways it speaks about God's will is about God's sovereign control over the world. Uh, sometimes people speak about God's sovereign will or his secret will or his universal will. This is God's way of exercising his rule in the world so that everything that happens, happens in accord with his will. That nothing happens outside his will and control. One of the ways we describe this is as God's providence, the way God sustains and cares for the world and orders it for his own purposes. Uh, This kind of will of God is, I think, what Jesus was speaking about when he asked this question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Jesus speaking about God's sovereign will there. Uh, in in the life of the world. And in this sense, uh, not even human evil, not even human sin is outside of God's will. It's not outside of his control or of his plans. And we see that illustrated in a couple of places in the Bible. Uh, In the story of Joseph, for example, where Joseph uh, is sold into slavery in Egypt. And uh, at the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph speaking to his brothers who sold him into slavery said that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That even in the evil that the brothers did, uh, God was at work exercising his will. And similarly, of course, in the gospel story, the story of Jesus and his betrayal by Judas, 
Uh, this was an act of human evil and yet was in accord with God's plan and purpose. And the thing about God's sovereign will is it's not really accessible to us. Uh, it's, of course, impossible for us to really understand how God is at work governing the world. That is just beyond our capacity to understand. Um, and it's not something in the end that I think that the Bible encourages us to even uh, want to be able to grasp. Uh, and it's, so it's understood as something secret. This is what Moses says to the people of Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever to observe all the words of this law. Moses says there are some things that God has revealed to us. He's revealed his will about some things, but there are many secret things which we don't have access to. So the second kind of way of speaking about God's will is God's revealed will. Uh, sometimes people speak about God's moral will or his salvation will. That is, when God tells us what he wants for us and what he wants from us, God reveals his will for our lives. And uh, God does this in a couple of ways uh, in the Bible. He reveals his will as a plan for our salvation. Um, God's will for us in the first place is that we believe in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself says, John chapter 6. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy, God our Saviour desires everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth for there is one God and there is also one mediator between God and humankind Christ Jesus himself human who gave himself a ransom for all that the first thing that God wants for us the first uh, way that God's will is revealed for our lives is that we trust in Jesus because Jesus is the mediator between us and God the Father that Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God, to come to know God, to be friends with God, to belong to God. It's God's will that we respond to that by trusting in Jesus. And beyond that, God's will is also a plan for our lives and how we live our lives. And uh, this is something that's spoken about in the passage that was read out for us today. So if you have your booklets open there on page five, uh, let me just uh, point out a couple of things about uh, what John writes here in his first letter. And in uh, this section, John speaks about two kinds of love, two things about love that are important for us to know. And the first thing uh, is there in the first part of the passage. He says, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you've had from the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And that may be a little bit confusing, that, that first part. Is it a new command or is it an old command? John doesn't seem to be able to quite make up his mind there. Well, he's referring to the command of Jesus to love one another. And it's an old command in the sense that it was already there uh, in the Bible from the beginning, in, in the law even, uh, and certainly in Jesus' teaching that they received from the beginning, and yet it is also a new commandment in that it uh, comes to people for the first time all the time around the world when people hear about Jesus, they hear a new command to love one another, and it continues to challenge us and strike us in a new way all the time. And uh, John 
points out the significance of this. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. It's so crucial to the Christian life that we love each other that John says this is a kind of test for whether you really do belong to God. Whether you're in the light or in the darkness, do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? Do you love the brothers and sisters that God has given you through faith in Jesus Christ? This is a fresh challenge for us each day. Love is the crucial marker and the crucial test of our Christian life. So here we are uh, presented by John with God's will for us that we love each other. But the second kind of love uh, that he speaks about is love for the world. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Uh, well, what is John speaking about here? He's speaking, when he talks about the world, uh, we need to remember that he's not talking about the world. Okay, the way that we normally mean when we say the, the world. Okay, we use the word the world to refer to the universe, say, or the planet or something like that. And that's not what John is saying. He's talking about the world in the sense of uh, human life lived in opposition to God. Human life lived in rebellion against God. And you see that as he spells out uh, what the love of the world is about. It's about um, human life uh, where people are committed to their their own desires, where people are committed to uh, greed, where people are committed to lust, where people are committed to personal pride. That's the kind of love of the world um, that John is talking about. And so he says you can't love the Father, you can't love God the Father and love the world at the same time. That uh, if you're someone who belongs to God, then you won't love the world. And here is John's summary at the end of the section, uh, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So here I'm getting back around to our topic. Uh, What does John say about the will of God? What's the will of God for us? Well, in the context of this passage, I hope you can see that the will of God is that we love our brothers and sisters and that we don't love the world. That God's will that John speaks about here is God's will for us to live in a certain way and to love certain things. And I think if you read the New Testament, generally speaking, and when I say generally speaking, I think I mean pretty much all the time. I'm just guarding myself because there might be an example somewhere in the New Testament that doesn't say this. But I think pretty much all the time when it speaks about God's will, it's talking about a certain way of life. That to know God's will is to know how to live in a certain way. Let me give you some examples and uh, you're going to have to listen in kind of closely to get these. But listen for what each of the writers says about God's will here. First of all, an easy one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
God's will is that we rejoice, that we pray, that we give thanks. Another example, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, This is what Peter says. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may malign you, though they may malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. God's will is that we obey the authorities, that God's will is that we do good in the world in order to silence those who might malign us for following Jesus. Or uh, here's Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, so that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter, because God the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we've already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. So the thing I think to notice about this is that when the Bible speaks about God's will, uh, it's not speaking about something that's individualized for you. Uh, It's not specific to you. It's actually the same for the people around you, the people sitting on either side of you. Again and again, God's will is about the kind of lives we live. So what kind of guidance does the Bible provide? Well, it, it shows us how to live our lives and that uh, this is actually sufficient guidance for us. This is sufficient guidance for us. Listen to these words uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And here Paul is speaking about uh, the Bible as he writes to Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you've known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So this is what Paul says about the Bible, about the scriptures, that it tells us how uh, it is able to instruct us for salvation, so the Bible tells us how we can be saved and also it equips us for every good work. That is, God's word um, provides everything we need for living the Christian life. That there is nothing actually lacking in the guidance that God provides for us in the Bible if we are to live in a way that's pleasing to God. We're equipped for every kind of good work that we might do in our lives. So that there's a vast and rich and wonderful amount of guidance for us in the Bible itself. Now, what's the problem here? The problem for us, I think, is that the Bible doesn't tell me specifically what to do. God's will is revealed, but it's, a, it's revealed generally for believers. It's gen- re- revealed generally for 
people in the world. It doesn't guide me in a specific way. It doesn't tell me which occupation I should go for. It doesn't tell me which job offer to accept. It doesn't tell me where to live or whether to buy that house or not. It doesn't tell me whether I should get married and who, whom to marry. And we want to know. We want guidance about that. And we, so we, we wonder, how can I find out? How can I find out? The alternative would be that we have to choose ourselves, that we've got to work it out ourselves. And in fact, that is a, what I want to suggest to you is what is God's, in fact, God's will for us. That God has given us considerable freedom in our lives about how we live and what we do and uh, and that we actually need to learn to use that freedom well. And rather than seeking God's will uh, to know specifically what God wants us to do in certain situations, uh, actually we need to learn to use the freedom that we have uh, for God's glory. Let me give you one example from the Bible about this, the parable of the pounds, Luke chapter 19. You might remember this story, that there is a nobleman He's going away to a far country to become, to be made the king. And so he calls his servants and he gives them each 10 pounds. And what, does he say, what he says to them is simply this, do business with these until I come back. He doesn't give them specific instructions about what to do. He just says, do business. And you can imagine that some of them might have found this a bit frustrating. Can you please be more specific? What business am I meant to do? How am I meant to invest these things? We would look, sometimes we would prefer to know specifically what to do. But in fact, God has given us very generously in our lives many resources, many opportunities, many possibilities. And the challenge is just to do business with them for God's sake until Jesus returns. Now, I think that we really struggle with this freedom that God gives us. And there are reasons, I think, why we're dissatisfied with it. Um, and, of course, there is, a, I think, a very considerable kind of culture within Christianity, um, and especially kind of within the evangelical subculture, of how do you actually identify God's specific will for your life? Uh, a kind of spirituality where you're constantly seeking from God his guidance to tell you what to do in certain situations. Uh, but I think that we've, uh, we're dissatisfied with, uh, with the idea that we might have freedom. And that that's one reason why we have this kind of culture. Uh, it sounds very spiritual, actually. It just sounds right, isn't it, to kind of want to rely on God in every situation uh, and seek for God to tell you what to do. That sounds Christian, doesn't it? kind of sounds spiritual but I don't think it's actually what we're encouraged to do in the Bible one of the reasons why uh, we find it difficult is because we have so much choice we find choice overwhelming we have this great freedom of choice but we really don't want it we're afraid of making mistakes given a whole bunch of different opportunities we're not really sure what to do and we think we might do the wrong thing what if I get off the track what if I choose something that really gets me away from God's will. We're also afraid to close off options. Um, this is famously uh, you know, the, the idea that 
uh, if I choose one thing, then I'm saying no to all kinds of other things. And I really want to keep my options open. I won't reply to an invitation uh, to go to a party because something else better might come up. So I mustn't commit myself to one thing uh, because I might miss out on something else. Uh, But probably really at the very core of this is that we are very individualistic. Uh, We want to know God's will for me, not so much interested in God's will for us. I want God's, to know God's specific plan for my life. If I can have a personal trainer, then why can't I have a personal word from God about what to do? I want God's bespoke plan for my life, if you know what I mean. You can find this uh, a lot in the Christian literature around. Uh, let, me te- let me just uh, mention one uh, that you, you, you might be familiar with. Uh, John Eldridge Uh, in his book, which which books are often about um, uh, relationship with God and about being a Christian man. Uh, And he wrote one book called Walking with God, Talk to Him, Hear from Him, Really. That's the title. Talk to Him, Hear from Him, Really, 2008. Uh, These are the kinds of questions that he talks about in his life that he asked God. Uh, Do you want me to paint the bathroom? Do you want us to adopt a puppy? Should I stay late at work? Should we go to the ranch this weekend? What dates should we set aside to go hunting? And uh, what he says he's aiming for in his life and he wants, what he wants for other people is a conversational intimacy with God. That, a conversational intimacy, with, that sounds really good, doesn't it? to kind of walk with God and have a conversation with God where God is guiding you about what specifically to do. Uh, But as I say, I don't think that's what the Bible is actually encouraging us to do. If you were to ask questions like this, uh, should I get married or not? What is uh, God's guidance for you about that? Well, there is various things that God has to say about marriage but the thing, as we've heard, is that what God's will for you is that if you do get married, that you be faithful to the person that you've married. That's what God is particularly interested in, according to the Bible. Or if you're wondering what job you should do, uh, well, the thing that God's word reveals is that God's will for you is that whatever work you do, uh, you do it in a way that actually uh, causes people to glorify God when they see the way that you live your life. Can you see the kind of thing that I'm talking about here? So we're preoccupied with some of our specific decisions, uh, whereas God is actually more interested in the what kind of life we live. In all of this, it's, I think, good to distinguish between uh, ordinary guidance, the way God normally guides us, and extraordinary guidance, the way that God can guide us. Uh, to distinguish between... what how God might guide us and how God certainly does guide us or what God promises to do and what God might do. And God's ordinary guidance is to guide us by his word in the Bible. He promises that that he will show us his will uh, in in the pages of the Bible, as we've heard. It guides us into a particular way of life. God also promises uh, that if we ask him, he will give us wisdom. Uh, You remember the promise... In uh, James chapter 1, if any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God, 
who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. And what is wisdom about? Wisdom is about the ability to assess the situation and to make good decisions. So wisdom is different from a a specific word from God about what to do. Wisdom is about understanding so that you can actually work out what to do. And also God uh, provides advice for us through other Christians. God guides us through the words of the community. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. Uh, We can benefit from the advice of others in order to make good decisions. That's God's ordinary way of guiding us. And we need to acknowledge there is also extraordinary guidance that's possible that god could speak to you in any way he could speak directly to you as he does to some people in the scriptures like abraham and paul at various uh, specific crucial moments in the story of salvation god speaks directly to them or god sends dreams and visions Uh, he speaks to people through words of prophecy and there are various other kinds of guidance that appear here and there in the bible god of course, can do these things. But I don't, don't think that he actually promises that he will do this regularly for us. And as we've heard, if God never speaks to you directly and never gives you a dream or a vision telling you what to do, he won't have actually let you down in any way. He's told you everything that you need to know in order to be saved and in order to do every good work in your life. There's really two things I think that we need to hear in order to use the freedom that God gives us in our life well. The first one is that we need humility. If we're going to exercise freedom, then we need to uh, remember, again, who is in control of the world and that our plans uh, are merely our plans rather than God's plans. Listen to what James says in his letter. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes or if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The freedom that God gives us is not a license for arrogance in our life, as if we're really the people in control. But humbly, we are able to actually make, try to make good and godly decisions in our life in accord with what we know of God's will. But secondly, and this is more important, uh, is really the whole question of the direction of our lives. See, one of the ways of thinking about this, and perhaps one of the ways of thinking about Christian ethics is, that uh, like everyone else in the world, we just go on our way and occasionally we come to a really tricky moment and where we need to make a decision. And how you know you're different from other people as a Christian is that you kind of rely on God at that tricky moment of making the decision. Can you see that's a kind, that's a kind of way of imagining uh, the, the way you live your life and the place that decisions happen in it, have in it. But actually, this is not really the the right way to think about it, I don't think. Uh, And uh, one Christian thinker, Stanley Hauvas, has uh, pointed this out. It's really not about making decisions on the way. It's about what the way is in the first place. It's about what the way is. 
And uh, following Jesus is a particular way of life. Jesus challenges us uh, to, be, to follow him and to take up our cross and follow him. That is to live a life like his of self-giving and self-sacrifice. And if you're on that way, if that is what your life is shaped by, the gospel itself, if you're living a life where you're concerned with others, where you want to serve others, where you want the church to be built up, where you want the truth about Jesus to go out into the world, if that's the thing that shapes your life, then the decisions actually, in the end, will tend to fall out um, in a way that is not too difficult for you most of the time. That you're on the way, uh, and it's the way itself which is the crucial thing. You see, if you're asking yourself questions, if if you're asking God a question like, should I go to the ranch this weekend? It seems to me that... In some ways, what you're in danger of doing is actually asking God to validate your lifestyle choices. That you could actually, if you were on the way of Jesus, you might ask rather more profound questions about the ranch than should I go this weekend? Can you see the difference there? And so one of the dangers with our spirituality of wanting to ask God what to do is that really we're just saying to God, can you please uh, help me? as I go about living my way. As I go about living my way, sometimes I get into some difficulties and I just need a bit of guidance to help me through. But the real essence of the Christian life, guided by God, is about what the way itself is. A way of life, taking up the cross and following Jesus. So I want to encourage you, God has given you all the guidance that you need in the Bible. He's given us all the guidance that we need. But will we follow that guidance? Will we actually allow our lives to be shaped in those particular ways? Not so much worrying about the specific decisions, but living lives which are about loving God, loving our brothers and sisters, and loving others. And we pray that we can live life in that way. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, so much that you do guide us, that your word guides us. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark in our lives. Thank you for bringing us the light of salvation through Jesus, your Son. And we pray that you would please continue to work in our lives and shape our lives. That as we follow the Lord Jesus, we would live lives that are pleasing to you, that glorify you in every way, that are not lacking in wisdom or understanding. We ask that you would please be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.